0: Hello there, and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to
1: learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device.
0: Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and LVAD, From the social work perspective, and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients,
1: as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team.
0: Welcome back to Beats by Social Work. As you know, our goal is to bring the human element of transplant and LVAD from a social work perspective. Part of that goal is to raise awareness about resources
1: and to educate our listeners, which may include other transplant professionals and even patients. So today we plan to do just that. We have an exciting guest, Lisa Yotter with Biomatrix Specialty Pharmacy. Biomatrix Specialty Pharmacy offers comprehensive nationwide specialty pharmacy services and digital health technology solutions for a range of chronic health conditions, including transplant. They offer leaders and uniting leaders in the specialty pharmacy industry to improve health and empower patients and experience a better quality of life. The really interesting thing about Lisa, though, is that she also has a very diverse uh, history in her career in transplant, many different roles. So Lisa, can you share some about yourself?
2: Yes. Hello, everyone. So I am a nurse and I started out working in a pediatric ICU and taking care of transplant patients. And that just kind of evolved. I've gone from pediatrics to adults as a liver transplant coordinator. I worked some in quality, all transplant, transplant education. And then I went into management for kidney, pancreas, and living donor. And so over about 20 years of my experience, I, in the recent history, then came over to Biomatrix um, working for their transplant specialty division.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. Interesting. And so you've really gotten to see the importance of having a different role and what it looks like to work outside of your role in a creative and productive way.
2: Yes, I think I'm very fortunate that I've been able to do that. Sometimes we get kind of boxed into our role. But as you all know, (laughs) transplant (laughs) takes a very (laughs) large multidisciplinary team. Um, And so yes, for example, I've spent most of my career in abdominal, whether it was kidney or liver transplant. But when I did quality specifically, I did all solid organs, including lung and heart and LBAD. Mm-hmm. And so that was a little scary to <laughs> jump into that pool, but it was exciting. And you get to see just how different the nurses, the social workers, the dietitians, the doctors, of course, the surgeons, but everyone has their, their different roles, the financial coordinators. Um, but they all do it together to uh, our one goal is for the patient. Mm-hmm. So it has been, it's mm-hmm. been an amazing experience. That's...
0: That's amazing. And I, and I like the fact too, that it's been in transplant. You're, you've worked in different aspects, just showing that there is truly so much involved when we think of the word transplants and the behind the scenes, like you mentioned with quality and management and all of that. So it's really yes.
2: nice. Yes. And, and even getting to see the differences between a very large program, a smaller, moderately sized program, and then also that pediatric aspect. In all cases, you're kind of helping take care of the whole family. But again, just mm-hmm. having those different angles and see, seeing where each team member on the transplant team has to step in at, at different times and maybe a little bit more heavily in this particular population as opposed to the other. But, but yeah, it's been a fun ride.
1: <laughs> so what do you want transplant social workers to know when working with Biomatrix? So
2: with Biomatrix, we are we um, cover the whole United States to help with those home specialty infusions. So in my role with Biomatrix, I partner with whoever the representative is. And in many cases, it is the social worker. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of cases, it's the nurse. And in some cases, it's the pharmacist or the financial coordinator. So I think the most important thing is, is if you're the social worker and say you're the one who's going to reach out to Biomatrix to help set up the home infusion, or whether you're working side by side with the pharmacist or nurse, it's helping to educate the patient. Sometimes it's scary for them um, having someone come into their home that is actually been kind of my theme of the last week and so it it's it's kind of nice helping educate the patients on all the benefits to being able to stay home and um, to have these infusions instead of travel. And I know we'll probably take a very deep dive into all of those benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's partnering with us to help explain to the patient. It's also helping to have, you know, everything lined up. We just need their um, insurance information, their clinical information. And then if there are any unique dynamics that we need to know about, or when we get to the point, and again, I know we'll probably discuss this more at length, but if there are some insurance hurdles, we have to come over getting some copay financial assistance. I have oftentimes really appreciated the help of the transplant social worker mm-hmm. in helping, again, explain to the patient, they're, you know, hey, we can do this. You just have to fill out this paperwork. And, you know, sometimes like, I don't want to do another piece of paperwork, or I don't want to do that. But it's really mm-hmm. so simple. And it can bring a copay down from $1,500 to $5. And um, mm-hmm. so I think just that partnership, understanding those hurdles that you face every day in the transplant center, we still face at home. Um, but it's really just open communication and, and us all working together to educate the patient and help them get the, the home infusion if that's what's possible for them yeah now
0: so let's let's talk about insurance now. I will say as a social worker insurance is one of my nemesis uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I have had to learn so much about it but yet it is so complicated so can you tell us a little bit more about that insurance aspect
2: um, yes. Yes. So and I will, you know, preface this with yes, we were not trained as nurses and social workers in, in insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am very blessed that our multi-disciplinary team members at Biomatrix alone, we do have our reimbursement specialist. And so they've been doing this for years and 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 in transplant as well. And um, so that's, that's a nice niche that we have them. But a lot of times it is the, if it's a Medicare case, it can be B versus D. So B pays for For infusions in the hospital or in the infusion center, but we are a specialty pharmacy and so we can only bill under D. Mm -hmm. And so some you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer with insurances to catch up on what's best. And they may not see that the patient has a two hour drive and they don't have the gas money or they don't have the card or they're caring, caring for a family member or something. So that's a big hurdle. And then another one is the co pays. Sometimes the insurance tries to dictate which medication to use. Mm-hmm. And we're fortunate because a lot of these home specialty infusions, IVIG, for example, that's our primary one that transplant patients need for their immunosuppression mm-hmm. um, pre or post transplant. And so they can be very expensive, but we are fortunate that there's a lot of brands. but And sometimes though, the doctor and pharmacists are like, no, this patient has to have this particular one. Um, so we really kind of work with the insurance and we we're going back and forth with the team saying, hey, you're saying you'll only cover these two, but maybe the patient Patient really needs this one because of the percentage of you know sucrose in it or something. Mm-hmm. So we work with them on that, and then of course the co-pays. Um, some pharmacy brands, the drug brands, have their own copay assistance, mm-hmm. um, and since we do not self-pharmaceuticals so we, uh, were a service, we do have our own financial assistance program if the patient qualifies for that. And so we will let you know. And again, that's a place where sometimes they need to fill out a piece of paper for the either the pharmaceutical brands, copay assistance if they have one, or the biomatrix ones that we provide and so then that way their copay, it's it's doable. It you know, I've seen zero dollars, five dollars, ten, or maybe it is brought down from fifteen hundred dollars to twenty-five dollars per mm-hmm. infusion. Wow. Um, which is you know, it's mm-hmm. not realistic. And as you all no. know, and, and everyone probably listening to this, any immunosuppressive medication oral medications as long as I've been in this field are just extremely expensive if you were to pay cash with no coverage. So
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We have to
2: work every angle.
1: <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because I would like to hear from you if there's been a complex case that you had to work through where you had to navigate different pieces and what you learned from that.
2: Yes. I would say definitely it has been sometimes the the brand. There's quite a few different ones. So for the IVIG the the probably most common thing I see is if the insurance wants a particular brand, but that's not right for the patient. And again, it's just the makeup. And that's where the pharmacist and doctor. Most of the time, majority of the time, they, they're they're you can you can switch it. But again, it's it's just it's constant communication. It's sharing what we hear. And mm-hmm. um, those experienced reimbursement specialists who work with transplant, they kind of know the ins and outs of that. But it, it's going back and forth. One of the the other biggest struggles, and we may not see this quite as much in our thoracic population, but the new logics, and you can use that, that is... um an infusion that mm-hmm. you would get instead of taking your immunosuppressive that you used to take in every 12 hours, every single day, mm-hmm. you would get your IV infusion once a month. But if the patient has Medicare, that has been our biggest challenge for at least the last year, if not longer for that Medicare B versus D. Mm-hmm. We will appeal, we will go through every step, mm-hmm. work with the team if the doctor needs to do a peer-to-peer, but there are times where they just they will not do it. As you all know, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you've spent, countless hours. It, it also depends on the different plans the patient has, if they have a secondary insurance. But again, we're going to be exploring all of that with you all as well to make sure that um, our hands are tied sometimes on that Medicare B versus D if there's not a yeah. secondary. And the patient just unfortunately has to go to an AIC. there won't It will not cover any home infusion and not just the company I work with, but that's just home infusion period. Okay.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Lisa, for some of our listeners, may be newer to this field, and mm-hmm. so are you able to explain what
2: IVIG is a little bit?
0: You don't have to get technical of the compounds, but just uh, a little just bit, just
2: very generally. So, it, yes, it's basically an immunosuppression, and it, it patients need it sometimes pre transplant, sometimes post transplant, but it is one of the the more common things that we see. And um, we do need the the last clinical notes um, for the various reasons a patient may need it, depending on why the doctors or ordered it. So it's just, that's where, when we come back, we'll say specifically, we may need the IgG levels. We may need the doctors or the infusion, if they were given in the hospital and infusion center, the last note, how did they tolerate the medication? Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, we're always going to, we're going to come back and let you know exactly what we need to support the need
1: for it. Okay, but that's good to know. So you mentioned earlier in one of your uh, one of your responses that you've worked with big centers, moderate sized centers, small, urban, rural insurance issues, very <laughs> very diverse experience in general. Yes. But I want to focus more on that urban versus rural because you made a good point. Sometimes our patients, I mean, at least here in Texas, it's the <laughs> it's a pretty darn big state, and so <laughs> we have people driving in. From everywhere, and yes. they may not have the gas money for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, so and can that, you touch on that?
2: Yes, that is probably my my. Closest to my heart, my fight for the patient is, you know, again, and I know as social workers, this is, you are often the team member who knows the patient and the family dynamics better than anyone. And you'll know those things like, okay, the patient who lives in the rural area, they may be taking care of elderly parents, family members, a spouse, kids. They may have one car for everyone that doesn't run well. They don't want to drive in. It's scary to drive into the big city, even if that's a smaller transplant center in a smaller size city, as opposed to some of the larger ones, like you said, in Texas, for example, but it is, it can be tough. So we're fortunate the way we set it up at Biomatrix is we do have our nursing team and we contract with home health nurses um, mm-hmm. because obviously we couldn't supply the, the whole nation and do that. And that would be something. But so we contract with them and we're constantly learning new contacts um, so that if we're down in the valley in Texas or in New Mexico or Arizona and you're, mm-hmm. you know, out very rural. So we're always contracting with them. So we do, there is a team behind, you know, working on this and trying Trying to set up, and every time they've set up a patient over the years, they're always going to keep that in in their card, um, so that we know those contexts. So, so one thing to keep in mind is, yes, nursing is harder to to get in the rural area at times, especially when you're very far out. So we also have to keep in mind when these infusions that the patient needs are due every seven days or every 25 days, give or take, you know, whatever the time is, we really have to plan it out to make sure the nurse is available. And we set all that up from the start so that, you know, hopefully we don't run into that. I mean, obviously we can all relate to challenges with COVID and, you Mm -hmm. know, there were situations where, oh my gosh, the home health nurse is COVID positive. So hold on, we're getting another nurse. Okay, we're just going to be one day late, but that's something where we're going to be communicating with the team and the patient. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, the patients appreciate is just having that that extra communication and, and educated on what's going on. Um, but those are probably just the, the biggest ones. Otherwise, we mail out the the medication to the patient in advance. So it's, mm-hmm. it's there waiting. Um, so it's mainly setting up the nursing. But again, look mm-hmm. at the benefits to the patient and the, you know, or if they're trying to work or I, I could just go on and on about the benefits of that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Well,
0: yeah. and for. First, I'd like to say thank you for just a shout out on setting up in the New Mexico and Arizona areas, because that there are some some challenges um, um, in those areas. So if, if anyone wants to start a home health company in those areas, you know, get on it. <laughs> <Cold> but, <wine>. <laughs> <laughs> we do. But so, you know, you were talking about the benefits of mm-hmm. being able to keep them in their home. Can you touch on that a little bit more? what yes. you know what are things that we should consider why is it so important what have you seen the benefits of staying at home
2: so i think this is what we all strive for in transplant whether your patient has been chronically ill from childhood or they had a acute illness that attacked whatever organ or multiple organs, our whole goal is to get them healthy and get back to living life or get them out of the dialysis unit and get them back to living life. Well, Mm -hmm. if they're doing relatively well, but they just have to have this IV infusion for a few hours. And even folks who, um, I mean, I live in Houston. I commuted an hour and a half each way to, you know, to work. There are people who live in a suburb of a major city and they, to them, From their perspective, which is what counts, that is a drive and it's scary Mm -hmm. going in there. And then parking is insanely Mm -hmm. expensive and on and on. So when we keep them at home, not only are we helping just kind of less stress, maybe they're not missing work, they don't have to find alternate daycare, adult care, they don't have to put that extra strain on the car, they don't have to disrupt this life that they're, you know, they've worked so hard to get back to. And then you're yeah. in the comfort of your own home. And then again, I'll bring up COVID again. You're not then exposing your immunosuppressed body to yet another large gathering of people. You know, we could, I could go on and on about just all the benefits. But most importantly, it is that just staying at home, having them come to you, that's one less day that you have to go, go back to, you know, the transplant center or the infusion center or whatever local hospital there is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, one of the things that we had talked about um, at the conference, and we've also talked about it here is working with that home health agency, working with the infusion center in the Mm -hmm. home, and how that collaboration looks. Mm -hmm. So but the question that i have is how how is the team or how does the team perceive that report back of how the patient's doing how things are going what you're seeing in the home how does is it perceived as collaboration or how do you maintain it as collaboration is more my question
2: right I, all of my experiences have been extremely positive. Um, You know, again, it takes a very, very large team to take care of one patient. And so we really do see ourselves as extenders of the greater transplant team. So I can take my most extreme example, and I know that every single healthcare worker listening can probably (laughs) relate, but it was a patient who had been chronically ill, always in and out had multiple transplants, had lost the first few due to non-compliance. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's just not a strong support system. It is not, sometimes the patient's their own worst enemy. It, you know, if you just call me back, if you just come into clinic and see the doctor. And, and so I know we've all had those and it can be so frustrating as a healthcare worker, but you still, you're like, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep trying. And so yeah. we do partner with someone to care for a patient and, um, with that situation and the home health nurse. So again, we will partner with local home health nurses and this was in a rural area. So it kind of incorporates everything. And there was a lot of concerns. There was some, um, drug paraphernalia around the home. Um, mm. this patient had been difficult to schedule and it had missed a, a dose or was late, um, and so they report back to our biomatrix team because we are set up. That's how how we do it. We collaborate with them and they bring it to us. And then I will immediately, and, and we, of course, vet it, you know, and ask questions. And there's that conversation. Well, what did you see? We try not to have any hearsay, but just like you would document in the sure. hospital, this is what I saw X, Y, and Z. And then we... Mm-hmm in turn, share everything with the transplant center. So whoever our contact is, and here's our concerns on this day at this time, the home health nurse arrived, she noticed XYZ, the patient appeared to have this, that and the other. And at that point, and again, is that going to be the social worker that has the best relationship? Is it the nurse? Is this a really Mm -hmm. special patient that the doctor's like, this is my baby, I'm calling him. But then the transplant center is, you know, typically going to beyond that real fast when we have those kinds of concerns. And then we just continue to collaborate and we will always share back and forth. And then the transplant center too will let us know, okay, hey, it's been a week. I finally got a call back from the patient. And it is it is a true team effort, just as I always experienced as a nurse, usually with the social worker, the two of us would both you know team up and try and get that non-compliant patient in. It's kind of, we do the same mm-hmm. by a matrix in the transplant center. So right now that case, you know, we're getting the patient the medication that they need. Mm -hmm. But, you you know, there's a lot of concerns with noncompliance and again, losing the organ, which is the last thing um, we ever want to happen. But
1: right. Exactly.
0: So Lisa, we have to ask what keeps you in the field of (laughs)
2: transplant?
0: And how do you avoid burnout from cases like that? From, from, you know, you have that, what, what do you do to, to prevent that? Just keep that passion.
2: I think, you know, anything anyone does in healthcare, you're always going to have that patient that just breaks your heart because everyone wants to help them but themselves. And of course it can really, really cause burnout. But for me, I would then have to focus on all my other patients who, you know, were just amazing. We'd have great relationships or, you know, currently and where I'm working now, we helped a college student. She had her first semester in college. And we had oh. to bring her infusion to her dorm. I mean, it was but she was, you know, bound and determined to be a young adult and go to college and we we're like, okay, we can do this. You know, we all had to pause for a second. Can we give an infusion in and in a dorm or whatever? But, you know, you think of those things and those good feelings overwhelm you yeah. and and they make up for it. And you're you're always gonna have that patient that the whole team is pulling for, but you have to remember, you know, there's so many different sayings for 10% of the bad and takes up most of the time, the 80 you know, these different things. But you have this whole population of patients who are fighting for their lives, still waiting for their organ. And you know that yeah. your expertise, your heart, your care you're, you're, you've got to be there for them. And so for me, the way I avoided burnout was I was kind of ever evolving and ever changing. I'm fortunate that I, where I lived, I was in the Texas Medical Center, and we have multiple transplant programs um, here in the city. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of times you do, you'll have doctors or surgeons go next door, or your friend or your manager, or you had a growth opportunity. And so that's what I did. I still stayed in my same realm. But for me personally, by trying to do different things, it helped. I mean, just like you guys doing this podcast. And I think there's, there's always something more you can do. There, there's never going to be enough in anything mm-hmm. in life, but exactly. you just have to find that niche that, that keeps you excited. And whereas I thought for a long time, I'll never leave transplant. And then I came over to this role. And I'm like, but now I'm, I'm able to work, our national director was also a transplant coordinator. So I'm like, okay, we get it. You know, we have these people that know transplant, and now I'm able to help just in a different way. And it's, it
1: is exciting. It makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I love that I can do so much more like, (laughs) like this, you know, I'm more than a social worker, the social workers listening, they're more than just a social worker, we all have skill sets and being more than a coordinator being more than just a nurse, all of those things, yes, finding your niche in transplant and how you can make it better. So I like
2: that. I agree. Yeah. And if anyone ever needs ideas, you know, again, you think about what, what is that patient population that pulls at your heart? Is it the Transplant Olympics? Is it, do you want to go back to the roots of some of these chronic diseases, you know, for heart health or this, that, and you do the walk, you do your local this, and then maybe you want to get involved in that. Or there's so many neat places mm-hmm. around the country where they have special homes. You kind of think the classic old one, Ronald McDonald House for kids, you know, these housing things, you can volunteer there. A lot of VAs have those. I mean, there's always, there is, there's Always something, <laughs> and you're always going to learn more too. You know, and it's kind of funny you say that. I actually
0: just got one of um, the Biomatrix newsletters oh. in my email this past week, and I had meant I had seen at the bottom advocacy work that you guys are involved in, and so you know, just even within your home infusion specialty pharmacy, yet you guys are involved in advocacy, and that's mm-hmm. uh, something that we are also very passionate about. Yes. Already.
1: Incorporating into transplant, so I, I just think that's great. Absolutely. So we have one more question for you—a little curveball that we like to throw at everybody. Okay. so <laughs> so we always do um, a check-in with ourselves, with anyone we have on the show, and it's kind of like an impromptu Likert scale. So okay. basically, a scale of one to five, or uh, as you'll soon see, very different. Um, <laughs> Um, but just how you're doing, and so metaphorically mm-hmm. <laughs> on a scale, on a scale of setting up IVIG in the smallest town of Idaho on Medicare only to setting up a home infusion with full family support, Medicare A, B, D, and Tricare for Life as a secondary, where would you find yourself? As as the provider, or as as you as a person. <laughs> <laughs>
0: On this fine Saturday Let's morning. go with the
2: Idaho, small, tiny town, IVIG with Medicare. And we're going to say that plan's going to cover it 100% with 0 copay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Okay. So, so the
0: challenge, but with the hope.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I like it. Perfect. Okay, Tiffany, your turn. Oh, wow. I would say I am commercial plan that we haven't seen before. And so it could either go really well or it could go really bad. We're just still waiting for insurance off.
1: (laughs) Kristen, how about you? I think I'm with Lisa on this one. I am, uh, I'm IVIG in the smallest town of Idaho with Medicare only. I'm, I'm running on fumes today because the baby stayed up all night. So <laughs> are you
0: a, are you a Medicare map then would you say too at that?
2: Yes, yes,
1: <laughs> we, we are. I, I am very much a, an advantage plan type situation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, oh wow. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for just sharing your expertise, your passion, and sharing about Biomatrix with our listeners. I think it's great to get to know the community for Transplant at Large. So thank you again for joining us. Well,
2: thank you all for having me. It's been a great joy. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. This is one of our eligible episodes for CCTSW
0: MCS credit. To receive Certificate of Listening confirming this credit, please visit our website blog and click the SurveyMonkey link. Powered by SurveyMonkey. This will open the post-show test. Just pass the test, be sure to include your name as you would like it to appear in your certificate, as well as an email address
1: for us to send your Certificate of Listening. Once you've completed this, either myself or Tiffany will review your answers and send your certificate to the email address you provided. Please allow five to seven business days for certification as we are both full-time transplant and MCS social workers. If you did not receive your certificate in seven days, please feel free to send us an email to beats by SW at gmail.com.